This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. In addition to the vast archive of written witness statements the Bureau of Military History collected in 1950 and 51, it also made audio recordings of notable participants in the Easter Rising and War of Independence. These include recordings of Sean T. O'Kelly, Oscar Trainer, and William Cosgrave. Witnesses selected for recording were deemed unique in some outstanding way from the point of view of historians. One such unique witness was Anya Kant. In 1915, my husband Eamon Kant and I were living in Dolphin's Barn on the south side of Dublin. One Saturday evening, towards the end of that year, Eamon said he would like to have the exclusive use of our front sitting room. I went into the room to see if the fire was burning brightly, and glancing out of the window, I noticed above all people, Tom Clark. He looked up at the house and then passed on. I was astonished to see him as he lived on the north side of the city and had, to my knowledge, no association with our area. I immediately said, would a look at Tom Clark? Eamon rushed out and brought him into the house. I stopped to speak to him for a few moments and then Eamon ushered in Sean McDermott, who was followed almost immediately by Paul Dick Pierce. I did not see the fourth man who arrived, but I'm almost certain he was Joe Plunkett. Anya Kant was born in 1880, the daughter of a reputed Fenian. She immersed herself in the Gaelic revival when it emerged around the turn of the century. She attended Irish language classes taught by Eamon Kiant, who she would marry shortly afterwards. Eamon joined Sinn Féin, the IRB and also the volunteers at their inception in 1913. Anya was also a member of Sinn Féin and joined the women's branch of the Irish volunteers, Cuma Naman. The pair moved in circles with the top level of Irish nationalism of the time. This led to a series of somewhat significant meetings being held in Anya's house in 1915 and 1916. At about six o'clock, I knocked at the door and said there were some refreshments for them in the dining room. From that day on, similar meetings were held now and again. When they came on a Saturday, I prepared a meal in the dining room. But when they came at night, I just handed in a tray at about 10 o'clock. I never saw the men again. Eamon admitted them and saw them off. Towards the end of February, I was told there will be an extra one tonight. So I prepared for six. Next day, Eamon said to me, I wonder what your neighbours would say if they knew you had James Conley in your house last night. I was rather surprised as James Conley was associated in my mind with the Labour movement and of course the Irish Citizen Army, but not with the Irish Volunteers. In January of that same year, he had mysteriously disappeared and was missing for a few days. Evidently, he had been co-opted to attend these meetings. Connolly had indeed been co-opted. The exact story of his disappearance remains a mystery, but it would seem the Irish volunteers felt they had to kidnap him in order to prevent him from staging his own rising. Connolly, in turn, seemed unsure the volunteers were willing to commit to military action. The volunteers were thus attacked regularly in the Workers' Republic, Connolly's newspaper and an organ of the Irish Citizen Army. The result of this was that Connolly suddenly went missing for three days in January 1916, leading to much speculation and fears that he would turn up dead at the hands of the British military. 
He turned up a few days later, seemingly unharmed. This would appear to have been the point the citizen army and the volunteers agreed to join forces in the Easter Rising. Being accustomed as I was to conferences and meetings, I never questioned what these men were doing. They were, in fact, the members of the military council who were planning the Rising of 1916. Subsequently, their names appeared as signatories to the proclamation of the Irish Republic. They were Thomas Clark, Sean McGermada, P.H. Pierce, James Connolly, Joseph Plunkett and Damon Chant. Thomas McDonough was also a signatory, but I have no knowledge of his attendances at these meetings held in my house. Of course, I only knew the number of people present and not their names. At that time, I did not appreciate the great honour conferred on me by having these important conferences held in my house. The momentous decisions then arrived at resulted in the rising of 1916, which event changed the whole status of Ireland. The culmination of these meetings that methodically planned out the insurrection was to be Easter Sunday, 1916. However, with the sinking of the yacht and its cargo of arms, the plan was thrown into disarray at the last minute. On Holy Saturday, 1916, just as the Angelus was ringing, my husband drew me towards him and said that next day the volunteers would strike. He said they had fixed for Easter Sunday and that the date had been arranged for a long time. Then he went out to confession and on his return collected all his equipment and told me that he would not sleep at home that night. I do not want, he added, to be caught the wrong side of the bridge. We went to bed and about two o'clock I heard a knocking at the door. I looked out a front window and saw a man, but as he spoke Irish, I was reassured and came down. At the door, I found Cahal Brewer, and all he said was, Car Williamin. I replied, Neil Shanshaw. Tashi Hus Egg Chak Muncher O'Doherty. Without a further word, Cahal wheeled his bicycle in the direction of Doherty's home. I again returned to bed, and in less than half an hour, Eamon reappeared complete with all his guns, ammunition, etc. The first words he used were, MacNeil has ruined us. He has stopped the rising. Keyed up as I was to the fight that was to take place, I said, surely you can do something, to which he replied, I don't know. He has held a meeting in O'Kelly's, and already the countermanding order is in the hands of the papers. With that, Eamon left me. On his return at half past five, he said that Carl had not said at which O'Kelly's McNeil had held his meeting, and he had gone to the wrong place. Then he travelled to Liberty Hall in the hope of seeing James Connolly. The armed guard at Liberty Hall refused to awaken Connolly, and Eamon argued to himself that if Connolly knew the position and that there was work to be done, he would not be asleep. From Liberty Hall he travelled to the Metropole Hotel where Joe Plunkett was staying. But Joe Plunkett had said he was not to be disturbed until nine o'clock. Eamon then made his way home. I gave him a cup of hot milk and he retired to bed remarking, If I sleep now, I'd sleep on dynamite. And he slept. The Angelus was just ringing out. I was not left long undisturbed, however, as within an hour, a courier arrived from Liberty Hall with a letter. 
As Evan was asleep, I left the letter beside his bed, where he would soon as he, see it as soon as he awoke. About half past eight, Seamus O'Monaco called. He was the captain of A Company, 4th Battalion, and so I assumed he wanted to see Eamon on volunteer business. I said, Seamus, he's been out all night. I don't like to disturb him, and he replied, it is very urgent. I went up, called Eamon, and told him that Seamus O'Monaco needed him urgently. He was down in a couple of moments with a letter in his hand. How long has this been here, he asked, and I answered. Since about seven o'clock. He dismissed Seamus almost immediately, and then, taking out his bicycle, he went off. He did not return until one o'clock. When the rising was over and I returned to my home, I found the letter Eamon had received that morning. It was from James Connolly, asking him to come down to Liberty Hall for a consultation owing to the position of affairs. It was at this meeting that it was decided to proceed with the rising. Eamon Kiant was commander of the 4th Battalion of the Irish Volunteers and managed to hold off a force 20 times superior in the South Dublin Union. He was executed for his part in the Easter Rising. Anya Kiant, like many other widows of those executed, assumed a public role following the Rising. She was vice president of Cumann and became a district judge in the Sinn Féin court system designed to undermine British rule in Ireland. She took the anti-treaty side in the Civil War, although she was an active member of the Sinn Féin Peace Committee, which sought to find an acceptable compromise between the two sides. After the Civil War, Anya retired from political life and became chairperson of the White Cross, an organisation devoted to providing for the dependence of volunteers killed during the course of the Irish Revolution. She died in 1954. For other less well-known stories from this interesting period in Irish history, visit www.storiesfrom1916.com. Thanks for listening.